Welcome to Cathedral of Faith. Well, after that intro, I'm feeling hip and trendy today. Watch out. Well, God is good. And all the time. So glad that you're here. We begin a new series. You know, whether you're here on site or out in the amphitheater or over in the chapel, the coffee shop, those who are watching online, so glad that you're here because today we start a new series entitled Wisdomatic. There's something called the Urban Dictionary, and in the Urban Dictionary, there's a word called wisdomatic, that when you run into a person who is full of wisdom, who has so much wisdom, just over-the-top wisdom, you call that person wisdomatic. Say that with me, wisdomatic. That Dr. Wayne, he's wisdomatic. And so that's a way that, well, well, there he is right up there. And I want to invite you to join me on a journey over these next few weeks to grow in wisdom and to lean into God's word that we can all be a people of wisdom and become wisdomatic ourselves. Let's get started with a question. If you went home from church and you walked into the house and a voice from heaven spoke to you and said, you can have anything you want, what would you say? I heard about a man who was walking on the beach right over here in Santa Cruz, and he hears a voice from heaven that says, I know how you've tried to be faithful, and I'm going to give you whatever you want. The man said, you know what I would really like? I love the beach, and I love Hawaii, but I hate to fly. So if you would build a bridge from Santa Cruz to Hawaii, and I could drive there anytime I want, that would be awesome. Well, the voice from heaven said, that's a little too materialistic. I mean, think about it. The structures would have to go all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. It would require a thousand miles of concrete and, and steel. I could do it, but I couldn't really justify it. Think of something else to ask me. And the man thought about it, and he said, I know. I would like to understand women. I want to know how they feel when they cry. I want to know what they're thinking when they're giving me the silent treatment. I want to know what they really mean when they say, it's nothing. I want to know how to make a woman truly happy. And there was a pause. And then the voice from heaven said, would you like that bridge two lanes or four? Man, I'm in trouble when I get home. Move over, Arthur. I'm coming to the doghouse. If a voice from heaven spoke to you, what do you really want right now? Do you know that kind of thing happened to a man in the Bible? By the name of Solomon. He had just become the leader of the country. God speaks to Solomon, and look at what Solomon says. He says, Ask me for whatever you want me to give you. Whatever? Hmm. Well, you need wealth to run a 
a nation. He could have asked for riches. You need power to run a nation. He could have asked for military. You need, well, it would be great to have a long life so you could establish a legacy. He could have asked for a long life. But instead, he could have asked for anything. Look at what he asked for. Solomon says, give me wisdom and knowledge so that I can lead these people in the right way. No one could rule this great nation without your help. Wow. And look at how God responds. God said to Solomon, you have the right attitude. You did not ask for long life and riches for yourself. You did not ask for the death of your enemies. You asked for the wisdom and knowledge so that you can make right decisions so I will give you wisdom and knowledge, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor. We have an over-the-top God, amen? Let's give God praise for who he is. And what Solomon does is he takes all of that wisdom and he puts it in a book in the Bible called Proverbs so that generation after generation that they can lean into that wisdom and learn from that wisdom. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to, over the next few weeks, lean into that wisdom and learn from that wisdom so that we can become people of wisdom. When it comes to questions like, what career path should I choose? Should I take this risk or should I play it safe? Should I marry this person that I've been dating? Should I, well, how should I manage my money? What should I do with my anger? How should I approach this conflict? See, in all of these situations, what you need is wisdom. You need something more than morals. Wisdom starts with being moral, but you need more than just morals. You can be a good moral person and still make a mess of your life. You really can. What you need is to be able to see life from God's point of view. To know how life really works. And to apply wisdom in those life situations. And so here are four challenges I'm going to give to you over the next month. The first one is this. The first one is to be here on the weekends. If you can't make it on the weekend, well, then, you know, go online. Watch us online wherever you're at because we're going to look at topics from this book of Proverbs and look at this amazing wisdom that can change our lives for the better. And then my second challenge to you is to go to our website and look at the blogs that our pastoral staff will be writing during this series and gain insight from that and, and how they're pouring out their understanding of each of these Proverbs. And then here's a third challenge for you. I want to challenge you, wherever you're at in your reading of the Bible, I want to challenge you to read one chapter a day in Proverbs. That takes about five minutes. And if you read one chapter a day, you can get through the book of Proverbs in a month, there are 31 chapters. And just ask God to pour the wisdom from this book into you. And then there's one final challenge I want to give to everybody in here. Grow a beard. <laughs> I'm just kidding. 
Not all of us would look great with a beard. And some beards, I read this about beards. It said, beards carry with them a sense of reverence and wisdom and also crumbs. And who wants to mess with that, right? Here's what the Bible says about wisdom. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Let's read this scripture together because this is a powerful scripture for the entire series. Everybody say it with me. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. Whatever else you get, get insight. Love wisdom and she will make you great. Can we say that last phrase together? Love wisdom and she will. Wow, let's declare it, everybody. Love wisdom and she will make you great. Let's give God praise, amen, for his word. Thank you, God, for your word. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this moment in time with these wonderful people here on campus, all around the campus, those watching online. I pray that you'd lead and guide and direct our time together today that we'll leave here being changed by the power of your word that this week our lives will be different because of the wisdom we receive from you. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' glory, all God's people said amen Amen and amen. Wisdom, love her own. She will make you great. Before you're seated, look at somebody and tell them, you're on your way to greatness. Go ahead. You're on your way to greatness. You're on your way to greatness. So the big idea for this week, it's in your outline, in your bulletin, is I want to talk to you for the next few moments about wisdom and our words. Wisdom and our words. Uh, Maya Angelou, the late Maya Angelou, once said this about words. I thought it was powerful. You must be careful about the words you use or the words you allow to be used in your house. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Words are things. You must be careful. Someday we'll be able to measure the power of words. I think they are things. I think they get on the walls. They get in your wallpaper. They get in your rugs, in your upholstery, in your clothes, and finally into you. Words are powerful. The Bible puts it this way. It says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love to talk will have to eat their own words. The power of life and death. Our words matter. They really do. I was reading this week about a a man back east who he was at home and his supervisor called him. And he's having a conversation with his supervisor. The conversation ends, and the man just goes ballistic. He's ticked off at his boss. And he's going on and on with his wife about his boss, how he, well, his boss, he's saying this and he's saying that about his boss. And what he didn't realize is that his cell phone, he had accidentally, back with his back end, dialed his supervisor back. And so the supervisor was on the phone listening to all the stuff that he was saying. Don't you hate when that happens? The accidental call. And, well, eventually, of course, he's gotten fired, and now there's a lawsuit, and it's a big mess. 
But life and death is in the power of the tongue. Our words matter. They really do. And that's why the words that we say, especially, can I just, this has been such a burden for me. I believe we need this message now more than ever. Because with cell phones and with email and with Facebook and with Twitter feeds and with social media, the importance of our words, the words do matter. It's great to live in a nation where there is free speech. I thank God for a nation where we truly have free speech. But just because you can say something doesn't mean you should. And if we will learn to, well, be people who speak life-giving words, life-giving words, in a culture where there's so much death. You know, I went on Facebook and, and I invited friends of Cathedral to, to share with me, you know, some words from their past, words that either were life-giving or words that spoke death over them or to them. And here were some of the responses I received, words of death. They sound like this. I heard dummy so much, I thought it was my name. Hmm. Or one lady wrote, a teacher associate told me people like you don't go to college. Another person wrote, I heard you're, you're just like your father growing up. And it was used to tear me down because my dad was in prison and on drugs. So I naturally followed his footsteps. Words over your life that they start out here, but then they get in here and they're speaking death to your mind and death to your spirit. And then there were other kinds of words, life-giving words. These were words like, well, someone said, never give up. Can somebody say amen to that? And then another person wrote, I'm encouraged by this word. Delays are not denials. Can somebody say amen to that? Another person wrote, let, don't let your past determine your future. Can somebody say amen to that? And another person wrote, God is good. And all the time, can we give God praise for life-giving words that get in you, that are on you and get in you. See, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And our words matter. They really do. And that's why here is the big idea for the week. Here's the big idea. Don't miss it. It's right here in my hand. Does anybody recognize what this is? All the guys help me out. It's a remote control. And on the remote control, you've got all these different buttons. But one of these buttons, you see this button right here? What button is that? That is the pause button. And so this is the button to carry. This is the, the button to push this week. Take the remote control. I've given you a card that has a little pause button on it. And before you speak, hit the pause button. Before I send that email, hit the pause button. Before I post on Facebook, hit the pause button. The Bible puts it this way. A wise man always thinks before he speaks, and the words he says are good and worth hearing. Can we give God praise for his word, amen? <laughs> thinks before he speaks. Hit the pause button. Say that with me. Hit the pause button. Say it again. 
hit the pause button. Why? Now, this is going to be a stretch for some of us because we are verbally gifted. I heard about one mom. She was with her little boy, and they were out, and the mom just, you know, she just talked all the time. And so finally, her little boy, he's in the car seat, and mom's going on and on and on, and she says, we need to stop by the store and get some buttons. And this little toddler, he said, mommy, I think you need a button for your mouth. (laughs) Boy, just talking all the time. Do you know the average person speaks 700 times a day? That the average person says enough words in the course of a year to fill up 135 books 200 pages long. That's a lot of words. And some of us are the ones that keep the average up. And unless we learn to hit the pause button and restrain our words, even though it's a stretch, the Bible says this, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Uh Uh-oh. Ouch. Can somebody say ouch? Boy, the Bible just stepped on my toes. But learning to restrain our words and hit the pause button before I jump in, this is so important because I've heard the phrase, hey, man, talk is cheap. Have you heard that? But you know what I found? I found that talk is also expensive. I mean, just ask Roseanne. (laughs) Few words on Twitter, and wow, those words were expensive. I mean, when you walk down the altar and you say, I do, have you ever thought how much that costs? (laughs) You know, when you go to the car lot and you say, I'll sign, just two words, not a lot of words, but... You know, our words are expensive. I wonder how many people right now in this room that you living in the valley, you are burned out because you said yes to this and yes to that and yes to this and yes to that and you were just worn out trying to, well, it's costing you. It's costing you your health. It's costing you your marriage. It's costing you your spirit. Because you're always in a hurry. The Bible says it's a trap for anyone to dedicate something rashly and only later to reconsider his vows. This is very practical. So if we will learn to hit the pause button, to think before we speak, hit the pause button. Say that with me. Hit the See it again? Hit the pause button. That's the big idea. There's a card in your bulletin. Hit that pause button. And before you speak, ask three questions. It's also on that card. First of all, ask, is this going to be truthful? Is this going to be truthful? There's a, a video piece online, and there's a kid, and there's cake involved. You know, watch the screen. See if you guys can identify with this. Mikey, what are you doing? It wasn't me. What wasn't you? What are you doing? The thing. What were you doing? The thing that I didn't have cake. Oh, you didn't? Uh-uh. Starts young, doesn't it? Boy, and then you, you, you take, you take, it starts young, and then you, you put, you put that kid in our culture where everybody p- plays so fast and loose with the truth. You know, the Bible says this, 
One of the guys in Proverbs writes, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehoods and lies from me. Would you say that last part with me? Keep falsehood and lies from me. Would you say it again? Keep falsehood and lies from me, far from me. Because when it, you know, we live in a culture, I came across a New York Times article. They did a survey with people, and here's what the survey found. They said 93% of the people they interviewed regularly lie. They said 36% lie on important matters. That 86% lie to their parents. That 75% lie to their friends. And that 69% lie to their spouses. And that you and I are exposed to about 200 lies a day. Are you kidding me? I mean, how are you supposed, maybe we should do a survey of the people who were surveyed to find out whether they were lying or not, right? (laughs) But this is the culture we live in. You know what it's like. Everybody around just playing fast and loose with the truth. But I was thinking, have you ever thought about how hard it is to keep a lie going? I mean, here you spin a lie over here, you spin one over there, you spin one over there, and then you spin one over there, and then you're trying to remember, what did I say to that guy? What did I say to that guy? You know, what did I say to that customer? What, I, I can't, and pretty soon, I mean, no one has a memory that good, and you end up getting caught in the web of deception, and that's why the Bible says in Proverbs, it's only a matter of time, the person who tells lies gets caught, And the person who spreads rumors is ruined. And so for us in this culture to pray that prayer, God, keep me from falsehood and far from lies. Because this is a key to trust. See, what deceit does is it erodes trust. And we need trust to build community. We need trust if we're going to have healthy marriages. We need trust if we're going to have healthy business partners. We need trust if we're going to have a healthy church. I mean, in all of your relationships, you need trust. And what deceit does is it erodes trust and breaks down and divides people. And that's why God hates lying. Because he knows what it does to human beings. And so you read verses like this in Proverbs. The Lord detests lying lips, but delights in those who tell the truth. Who tell the truth. How about if today we decide, God, we're going to move against the cultural Wave and instead be people who are countercultural, living by the truth, speaking the truth. And, and if you, you know, the, the lies are the devil's native language, and we don't belong to the devil anymore. We belong to Jesus. Amen? We belong to Jesus. And Jesus said he is the truth. And if we lean into Jesus, He can help us. If you want to do something that's super courageous, I mean, it's hard to do, just just right up front. But if you say, hey, Ken, I've gotten into this habit of playing fast and loose with the truth at at work or at home or at the gym, wherever I'm at, for whatever reason, 
I, here's something you can do to help turbocharge your commitment to the truth. Make a decision today. From this point on, make a decision that every time the Holy Spirit checks you about a lie, you go back to that person and you confess it to them. And you ask them to forgive you. And you tell them that you're committed to being a person of truth. Whoa. If you lean in to truth with a commitment like that, even in a culture where, well, there's so much deceit around us, God can help us to take back our integrity. The Bible says what is desirable in a man is his kindness, and it is better to be a poor man than a liar. Boy, to take back our truth. And how about if we speak the truth together? You know what's true? What's true is this. God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. And all the time. Let's give God praise. Amen. Hallelujah. So we hit the pause button and we ask, is this going to be helpful? And secondly, we ask, is this, or is this going to be truthful? And secondly, we ask, is this going to be helpful? Is it going to be helpful? Um, the Bible says this. It says, the words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings what? Healing. Brings healing. When I was a kid, you'd be on the playground and people would be on your case. And, you know, they'd be talking this and talking that. And so you develop this response to it. And I would say something like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Ah, you did that too. And so I would say that, but then I learned through experience that even though I would say that, words have a way of, of digging in. And there's certain words that were... They got lodged in my head and lodged in my heart. And how reckless words can cut deep and create an environment. The University of Denver did a study. They wanted to find out with married couples, were there any predictors that they could find on whether the couple would end up staying together or end up divorcing? And they found one predictor that they thought was, was a good predictor, and it had to do with their words, the words that they spoke to each other. They said in a hundred comments with each other, if there were five critical or cynical or cutting words, that if there were five or less, that that couple was probably gonna go the distance. But if you added more cutting words onto that and they kept being cynical and they kept being cutting and they kept being critical that once you got to the number 10 that became a tipping point that out of a hundred words 10 or more critical words would send that couple toward a divorce because our words create an atmosphere and so am I creating an atmosphere of death or an atmosphere of life in my home and if we can decide that we're going to be change agents today can somebody say amen, amen. 
we're going to be change agents. And instead of speaking words of death, we're going to change the environment at home or at work, and we're going to start speaking life-giving words. The Bible says righteous people know the kind thing to say, but the wicked are always saying things that hurt. I was looking at another response I got from Facebook about a lady who talked about the power of life-giving words from her dad. Here's what she wrote. She said, my sister was tall, thin, and smart, and stunning. I was short, round, worked hard for B's and C's, and was just cute. But my dad privately said to me when I was in high school, you're the star in our family. Well, some 40 years later, I'm older, shorter, and rounder, and work hard to teach and also tutor children who struggle in school. Although I'm a month older than Pastor Ken, uh uh-oh, I'm still young at heart. Can somebody say amen? amen? God has used my weaknesses and made them my strengths. I've been a minister in education to students and their families. I've danced with a former kindergarten student at his wedding. I've helped with burial plans and services of another. God has used me to lead families to the Lord. I like to think that my dad was right. I'm a star shining brightly for the Lord with a few power outages here or there. Well, I love that. Let's give God praise about the power of life-giving words. Hallelujah. The Bible says that a word of encouragement does wonders. And so I want you to think right now as God would bring someone to your mind that this week you'll be intentional, that I'm going to speak a life-giving word to them, something that builds them up, something that lifts them up. I'm going to speak life over them. In fact, I'd like us to do something even now because as followers of Jesus, you know what side of town we live on? Not the north, south, east, or west. We live on the blessed side of town. So look at somebody and tell them, you live on the blessed side of town. Go ahead. You live on the blessed side of town. Amen. Now that brings us to the the last question. And as we start to wrap things up, so I'm going to hit the pause button. And I'm going to say, is this truthful? Is it helpful? And the last question is this. Is it going to be timely? The Bible says how good is a timely word. A timely word. You know, do we have any Giants fans in the house? Okay. How about any Dodger fans? Let me see. We have any A's fans? All right. So it's baseball season. And you know in baseball how it goes. If, like Buster Posey, if you swing too early, you miss the ball. If you swing too late, you miss the ball. But if you time it right, well, watch the screens and you can see what happens. The old guy can still get it done. Timing, the right time. See, Proverbs, it's more than just about being moral. It's about being wise. And Proverbs tells us that if you say the right word at the right time, it's a home run. But if you say the right word at the wrong time, you'll strike out. In fact, one of the funniest pictures is of a guy who wants to bless his neighbor. Isn't that cool? 
He wants to go and bless his neighbor. So he goes and he, well, let me use my imagination a little bit. He starts shouting blessing to his neighbors. You the man. I love you, man. May God bless you and may God keep you. Have an awesome day. Those are good things to say. The problem is it's four in the morning. (laughs) Not even God is up at four in the morning. And so look at how the neighbor takes it. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. (laughs) See? The right word at the wrong time, you end up striking out. There was a, a, a couple that were experts in the field of conflict solving who were friends. They used to come into our marriage retreats, and they wrote a book called A Fight to the Better End. And this is what they said about timing when you're trying to solve a conflict and have a heart-to-heart with another person. They said the right word in the wrong, is in the wrong place or time falls on deaf ears. We bring unnecessary tension to the negotiating table when we neglect timing. And so doing, we risk the chance of losing what we want. See, the importance of timing, the right word at the right time is like a home run. And that's why Proverbs says this, the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. You know what time it is right now? It's always a good time to praise the Lord. So can we give God praise? Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want you to listen to this story of a young lady at the church who's resilient and about the power of words in her journey. And allow God to make us all wise as we leave this place. Hi, my name is Kayla and I'm attending UC Santa Cruz to study marine biology. She was told by a domestic violence counseling um, group that she should abort the baby because um, there's an 80% chance that if a husband abuses his wife that he will abuse his child as well. And my dad did not let that statistic down. The summer before my sixth grade year, he did sexually abuse me. And I have memories of extreme pornography and other things that no 11-year-old should know about. Uh, I later found out that I had a sexually transmitted disease. My biggest thing was my mom. She really, she made sure that God was in my life and that when I was younger, um, she made sure that I knew that God was always with me, that I could always pray, that I could always talk to God, and that I was never alone. And even though, yes, these bad things happened, um, God was there and it's made me stronger because of that. In seventh grade, I had a creative creature project, which is basically a project where you combine two creatures and you um, describe how they survive, what they eat, how they live. And so I decided to do my project on, of course, marine animals. On the rubric, it said I had an extra credit point and it said, great job, you should really become a marine biologist. And ever since then, um, I have always wanted to 
I've always wanted to become a marine biologist. It sparked something in me and it it was something so simple and it was just like, oh, you know, you're really excited about this, you should do this. And it was just, you know, a small word of encouragement, but um, it completely changed my future. Like everything that I went into, the high school that I went to, like it completely set my life on the course that God wants me to go. I think I've always known that I really loved ocean animals. I've always loved the beach. I've always loved, um, I've always loved the aquarium. And her saying that just kind of, it combined something that I loved with my future. Of course, there are a lot of difficult times, but <clears throat> I was asked, you know, like, is there anything that you regret or that you could have changed in your life? And I thought really hard about that because really, yeah, I've been through a lot of really, really difficult times. Um, but God has obviously brought me out of all of that. And there's nothing that I would have taken away because it's made me who I am. And all these situations, good and bad, um, they made me a stronger person and a better person. And I wouldn't trade any of that for anything. Amen. Amen. Oh, Kayla, I, I want, would, Kayla's right over here with Pastor Scott. Would you come on up? Let's praise God for Kayla's overcoming spirit. Kayla, God bless you. Oh, wow. Oh, my. Karen, come on up, Karen. Everybody stand just for a moment. Please don't move. I have feel like this is such an important, powerful moment that God can help us not just this week in terms of hitting the pause button, but I felt in my spirit that we, you know, there are folks here this weekend that you have a word from the past. It could have been when you were a kid and that word is lodged in you. It's in your mind. It's in your heart and it affects your behavior. It may be even a subconscious thing, but even now the Holy Spirit is bringing it to your attention so you can get rid of that word of death and God can speak life over you today. What well, that's going to happen. It hap it's happened in every service. And, and Kayla and, and Pastor Scott and Karen, we just want to pray with you and pray for you. Um, Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, oh my. All of us come to you on our knees, repenting, because all of us have failed, and we fail miserably. God, we know what it is to gossip and slander and use reckless words or half-truths or exaggerations or... Lord, we, we, we know what it is to fall so short when it comes to, to our words. 
And so, God, we ask for your grace that would cleanse us, give us a fresh start today. And this week that you'll give us the grace to hit the pause button and ask, is it truthful, is it timely, is it helpful? And Father, I pray for those who have had words of death over them that have shaped and limited their life experience. God, I pray that you would take away that word of death and you would replace it with a word of life, that they are your child, that they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them, that you love them with an everlasting love, that they are an overcomer. It doesn't matter what their past has been. Because of you, we have a hope and a future. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's give God praise, amen. Hallelujah, amen.